Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would open our eyes to your beauty, that you would help our hearts to remember the truth of your love for us, that God, you are the foundation, you are the one who is unchanging in your love for us, that you're constant, and that you call us to be your hands and feet of love to the world, even in the times when our hearts are the most broken by the truth of of darkness, the truth of evil, the truth of pain and suffering that is real. Lord, we know that, that you call us to be your hands and feet, to actually be a source not of brokenness like we're so used to, that, we're, that, that seems our proclivity, the, things, the thing that we gravitate toward. Lord, instead, you call us into a life of healing and wholeness and restoration. And so may that be the the thing that you're doing in this room and in this space, that your voice speaking into our life now, that your presence in our hearts and our minds would be transforming us here today so that we could, uh, we could discover more about your goodness and your glory and we would, we would not just contain that, but that we would reflect it to the world and we would, we would share it with every person we know. So God, we step into this time as a holy time, a time when you're at work. And we know about your goodness. We know that you are going to do good things. So we praise you for that. And we rest in this goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people say, amen. Please have a seat. And good morning, everyone. Today is the last Sunday of the, of the loved series. You can say, aw, like, you know, aw. You didn't say it? Okay, let's try it again. Today is the last, loved seri- last Sunday of loved series. I know. I know how you feel. I, I feel like that sometimes too. Um, but it's not the end of love. Yay. Okay, so um, this is actually a transition moment. It's a movement forward. So uh, there is a trajectory. There is a direction that God is leading us as a church. There, there is so much beauty in this. But I have to tell you, this sermon, as promised, is the toughest one. This is the one that will cause you, that will, that will challenge you the most in your heart and in your mind. Uh, so I want to be, I want you to be prepared for that. You know, so if you're a football player going out on the field and you, and you know that you're about to take a hit, it's nice to know that ahead of time rather than, <laughs> this is going to be a big, big message. Uh, and it's, it's one that's going to cause you or challenge you to, um, to, um, to, to respond in the depths of your character. It's really going to, it's really going to question what is your character? What is the deep heart core of you? And so uh, this, this, this question, uh, this message is spoken into something in your life, and each one of us have a different thing, and in some ways we share the, we share the same experiences, but they're different. Um, and so each one of us is going to have a different answer to this question, but this message is preached into this same, whatever the answer is for you, it's preached into the same, uh, the same word is going to be, this is going to mean the same thing, is going to transform it. So this is the question. The question is, what is the hardest spiritual challenge you've ever had? The hardest spiritual challenge you've ever had. Think about that. What is, what is the hardest thing that you've ever dealt with? Some of you, you can think about it right away. Some of you have a litany, you know, you have so many difficult spiritual challenges in your life that it's hard to pick one. But for others, they can pick one right away. And what I've also found is that the hardest spiritual challenge for any given human being is usually the one they're encountering right now. 
Have you noticed that? It's, it's like the one that's right in front of you. It's the one that, that or, or the one that you're about to encounter, and you know you should encounter, and you know God's calling you to encounter it, and you've, you've avoided it, but it's there in front of you. That's the question. What is the hardest spiritual challenge you've ever had? I, I feel like the answer to this question is, because, have you noticed that life, life's challenges do get more difficult over time? They tend to, or they get more complicated? It's like a video game. How many people play video games? Anybody, anybody play video games? I'm raising my hand. I played a video game 20 years ago once. Uh, actually, a whole summer. I played a video game for a whole entire summer of junior high. Like, it was gone. I didn't do anything except for play that video game. And then when I, when I was done with that summer, I decided to never play video games again. I lost a whole summer. It wasn't worth it. But, but what I discovered as I played the video game is that um, I, I went through level one, which was not too hard, but it was hard, and I learned things along the way. And then level two is even tougher because you, you pass level one, you get to level two. You pass level two, you get to level four, and then you're up to level 13, and you're doing things that there's no way that you could have done them if that was the first level. But because you learned things along the way, then you have more equipment, more talent, more skills to respond and encounter that challenge. I feel like a lot of times, whatever you're at, this is the, this is the next level of your life. This is the next challenge that God has in front of you, whatever it is. Uh, so this is the question. Uh, have you got it? Some of you kind of know what your great spiritual challenge is? Well, this is, this is a story that Jesus speaks into the hearts and minds of the disciples. And when he does it, he sits down. By the way, you might think that Jesus stood at a pulpit when he preached. He did not. When Jesus preached, and you'll find it in the Bible, he sat down. He would always sit. When he read the word of God, he would stand. And when he would, when he would preach, he'd just kind of take a seat. And the sermon we're looking at today is a sermon preached to the disciples to call them to live the life of love, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, <clears throat> have you ever like, had that, that experience where you're hearing the beginning of a sermon and you just, maybe you're having that experience right now and you're thinking, can you just get to the point? You ever had that moment? That, that's a sense, like, that's laughter of affirmation. Um, <clears throat> yes, we're having it right now. Um, <laughs> this is, we're going to get straight to the point of Jesus' message. He has a lot of really, really good stuff. You have to pay attention to every piece of every word that Jesus says, but this is straight to the heart of it. This is the most difficult part of his sermon. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in Matthew. We're going to look at the one in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. And here's the meat. It says these words, You have heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, wait a second. Is that in the Bible anywhere? You must love your neighbor and hate your enemy? No. Does it say you must love your neighbor? Yes, it does. It says that in the Old Testament even. But it doesn't say anywhere, you must hate your enemy. Jesus was speaking into common knowledge, you know, like a commonly accepted understanding that we must love our neighbors and hate our enemies, which I think that in our society today, would you say it's fair that a lot of people live according to, and sometimes we do too, according to the mantra of love our neighbors and hate our enemies, Right? That seems to be a commonly accepted understanding. Well, Jesus says, you have heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying that, that when you're challenged, when, when you're harassed, and by the way, the word harassed there is, uh, is the word uh, that is used for someone who is pursuing a, a, like a gladiator who is pursuing someone that is being killed in the Colosseum, right? 
So can you imagine that? To be harassed is actually to be chased down with a chariot with, with knives on it. It's, it's to be chased down by someone who's trying to kill you with actual weapons in their hands. And Jesus says in that moment, what you're supposed to be doing is to pray for that person. Thank you, Jesus. Really good, helpful advice there. Pray. That's just what we wanted to hear. We are hoping that you would teach us one of those moves, you know, like, like levitation or something like that, you know, just throw them up into the stratosphere. That would be great, Jesus. No, we weren't wanting that prayer. We weren't wanting that weapon. Jesus says you got to pray for those people so that you can act as your Father in, in heaven is. That, this is Jesus saying, this is just saying, you, when people get to the deepest part of your core, your character. What they should not discover is a rotten core, but they should actually discover the character of the heart of God. When dig down to the layers, they should actually find that when you're pressed and you have the hardest challenges in your life, that they should actually find that you are acting like Jesus, that you're acting just like God. Now, that's a pretty tall order. And Jesus says that if you, if you, want, if you want to be able to... Uh, to encounter this challenge, address this challenge, then prayer is, is, is what you're going to need to do. It's going to have to be about prayer. But let's be honest. Uh, do most people have the tendency to love their, na- love their enemies? Actually, you know what I think is more common is people tend to demonize their enemies. Have you ever heard people say that? When they find an enemy, they start to say, this person is the worst person on the face of the earth. There's not a good thing in this person's life. In fact, this person is the spawn of Satan. I heard one person say, this person is the spawn of Satan. And, and I feel that that's, that's a helpful thing if you're trying to cope. If you're trying to somehow get through a very painful experience, but what actually Jesus is saying is he's saying, uh, mm, hold on a second, that's not the way forward. Instead, you have to find some way to love that person. You have to find some way to love them. And Jesus says that what you need to do is you need to start to pray for that person. Not just, not just by every minute, not just a few minutes, not just a few hours, not just a few days, but for maybe sometimes months or sometimes years, you need to pray for them. What happens when, when you're praying for someone, you, you close your eyes and you visualize them and you imagine them as much as you may not want to do that. And you start to, you start to like have compassion for them. You, you start to imagine them having their cup of coffee right now. And you say, God, I, I pray that you would bless this person, that you would put good things into their life. As, as much as you may want to say, I wish this person would just be brought to justice. I just wish the ugliness of this person would be exposed to the world that everybody would see how horrible this person is. And instead you're saying, no, God, I really, really wish that this person would have an extraordinary blessing in their life. Yeah, you want truth. But what you're praying for is mercy. What you're actually praying for is grace. I told you this would be one of the toughest things for any of us to hear. Because we really, really want that person to be exposed for the truth of who they are, right? Well, Jesus goes on to say these words because he knows where you're at when you hear this. He says these words. He says, he makes the, he makes the sun rise on both the evil and on the good and sends the rain on both the righteous and on the unrighteous. Now, when I read this, I I thought a lot of times people think that the sun is the good thing and the rain is the bad thing, right? Why? Why would we assume that? The rain is good too. Jesus is saying he does good things on, the, he does good things on evil people and good people. He does good things on, on unrighteous and righteous people. He just sends goodness and love 
into their life. That's the character and nature of God. If you want to find out what that character is, then you just look to God and recognize that God blesses everybody. Now, there's a big myth going on, and it was going on at the time of Jesus, that people who have a sickness have a sickness because they're bad, that somehow God is punishing them. Or that because people are impoverished or they're bad with their finances, the, result, the reason that they're bad with their finances or their experience is because they weren't tithing. They weren't giving money in worship. You know, this is called the prosperity gospel. Or actually, I like to say there's two false gospels here. One is the prosperity gospel, which says you're going to get richer if you tithe and give good things to other people. But there's also another one called the poverty gospel, right? The scarcity gospel, and the scarcity gospel says, oh, you can only, uh, only, if you, only if you live a life of scarcity, then can you only be close to God. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, God is going to bless people who are bad, and God is going to bless people who are good. He's going to keep blessing them and blessing them and blessing them abundantly. He's going to put grace in their life. He's going to put mercy in their life. He's going to bless every single person everywhere because he is fair, and he is loving, and he is good. And we don't like that sometimes. Sometimes we, we want to insert our own gospel of a God who, who only blesses the righteous or only blesses those who've said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. But that's, that's not what God does. God's character and nature. It, have you ever heard of the, the saying, it's nice to be nice to the nice? <laughs> Doesn't that sound easy? Like, it's nice to be nice to the nice. The, well, Yeah. Well, Jesus speaks to that. They had a saying similar. He said these words. He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Well, he's like, wow, that's really tough. You know, look at you. You're so, you're, you've got it together. You're really loving people who love you, right? That's not a lot of challenge. That's not a big challenge in life. He says these words. Um, don't even tax collectors do the same? Now, by the way, he's not referring to people who work for the IRS, so don't just feel too bad if, if you're punching in the clock and working. <laughs> what he's talking about is, uh, he is talking about mafia people because in, in those days, the worst people at the time were uh, tax collectors who would go down and do a shakedown and say, if you don't give me extra taxes, then I'm gonna make sure the Roman soldiers come in here and destroy your place. You see, that... that those were the worst of the worst. Those were the people that everybody would demonize and say, you want the worst of the worst? It's the tax collectors. Those are the worst people you can ever imagine. Those are the enemies of God. Those are the enemies of the people. Those are the, those are the people who are destroying people's lives every single day. And Jesus says, well, okay, the people that you demonize are, are that, that's what they do. They love who, people who love them, people who pat them on the back, people who, who, who submit to their ways. He goes on to say these words, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? This is a tough one because I've been in small groups before where we're in a small group and we're just loving our small group experience. We go, wait a second, we're, we're called, we have this kind of conversation, we're called to, to, to reach out to other people and, and expand the circle. Even though that expansion of the circle means that we're opening ourselves to the uncertainty of being in relationship with people who might make us uncomfortable. Maybe we'll have to be nice to the mean. I remember one person said, gosh, there's cranky. We, I don't, we, honestly, I, don't, I can't think of one, I can't think of one cranky person at the church, but not, not the, <laughs> I can think of one cranky person at the church, but <laughs> some churches are filled with more cranky people. I feel like those churches are fulfilling their call more than others, don't you think? Because what's our call? Our call is to reach out to cranky people. The day that this church is filled with all cranky people, you know, <laughs> 
terrible, ornery people, people who are just sour in every way, they'll say, oh, that church is only filled with sour, ornery people. will say, yes, we've been reaching out to them for years. Isn't it amazing? Aren't you glad? <laughs> okay, I'm the cranky one. <laughs> that wasn't in the sermon. I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> He says, uh, if you greet only your brothers and sisters, um, what is that to you? He says, um, don't even the Gentiles do the same. He says, even people who have no knowledge of who God is and the love of Jesus Christ, people who, who, are, who just don't even understand the depths of God's love and mercy, he says, they do that anyway. You don't need grace and mercy to love your brother or your sister. I mean, well, <laughs> extra. <laughs> He says, therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete, so if you've got your Bible or your scripture, I want you to write the word complete down or circle the word complete. This is a big word, complete. He says, just as your Father in heaven is complete in showing love to everyone, so you must also be complete. Have you ever heard people say in a relationship, what do they say? You complete me, right? <laughs> you complete me. Ah, no, just kidding. <laughs> Gag me with a spoon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, you, I'm sorry if you say that to your spouse. It's so cute. I'll get there someday. <laughs> you complete me. So, but Jesus is saying, if you want that sense of being completed, this is the way. If you want to know what love that is complete, then this is the way. It is to love without condition. It's to not look and say, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to have a preference. There's no room in the kingdom of God. There's no room in Christ followers' lives for preferential treatment for people because they're Christ followers or because they're not. We are called to love everybody and anybody in extraordinary ways. Every single person. And not to withhold that love from anyone. That's, that's a radical call. I didn't say that this was an easy message. Or it's easy for us to, to, to experience. But that's what God's calling us into is this, this experience of, of completion, that we could be completed. Is it possible? That's the big question. Because before Jesus Christ, human beings kind of had, had an out. We'd say, well, you know, God's calling us to God's standards, but that's God and we're humans. And then Jesus came and he's 100% human and 100% God. And we go, shoot. He's not just saying, love your enemies. He's actually doing it. You know what? When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed. Just like he said that we need to pray for those who harass us, for those who chase us down, who come after us with knives. In this case, he prayed for those people who nailed him to the cross, every single one of them that participated in that. He prayed for all of humanity. He prayed for you and me. And the prayer that he prayed was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. What a beautiful prayer. What a prayer that we could learn to recite and repeat in those moments when we are at our lowest. Not when we're at our highest or when we're feeling like we've had a fantastic day, but when we're at our lowest and we're feeling the most wounded in life, we say, God, would you just forgive this person for they know not what they're doing? Parents, when they just feel dissed by their kids, could say, kids, uh, Lord, forgive my kids for they know not what they're doing. Now, I don't have that problem with my kids, so that's not, not, actually, they're three and four, so pretty much, yeah. Like, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Who needs to forgive them, right? I do. 
And then we can pray that same prayer for the grown-up four-year-olds. You know the four-year-olds that are in the grown-up bodies that walk around? <laughs> They're four-year-old and six-year-old like me and you, right? We are all pretending to be adults, but we're really just babies in big bodies, right? <laughs> we know that. <laughs> just sorry to break that to you, kids. <laughs> we're figuring it out. Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. You know what Jesus said after he prayed that prayer and as he died? What did he say? He said, it is finished. Do you know what another translation of that is? Completed. Completed. It's completed. This is written in Romans the book of Romans by St. Paul, by the Apostle Paul, chapter 5, um, verse 10. And he says these words, if we were reconciled to God through the death of his son while we were still enemies, we were still enemies of God. We were still fighting against God and God reconciled. And that word reconciled is really important. We're going to come back to that in a second. Wait a second. God is saying that, that that you were reconciled to God, not when you were standing on a stage in a church saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, or when you were baptized. He says, back when you were wounding God, when you were doing bad things against God, when you were turning your back on God, God was blessing you and reconciling you and saying, God, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That God was actually loving you because you know what you were? You were the enemy. And how is it that you had that transformation? How is it that something big happened in your life? It was through that prayer that Jesus prayed. It was through the prayers of saints and people all over the world who were following Jesus who said, you know what? This person, we're gonna pray for this person because we know that this person is, is like us because we're all enemies. See, while we were still enemies, his son, uh, his, his, we were reconciled the death of his son. Now that we have been reconciled, he says, how much more certain is it that we will be saved by his life? Because he's saying he wasn't just dead on the cross. He came back to life. He conquered death and he invited us into this continual reconciliation. He invited us into a process of wholeness and completion that we are to bring about the kingdom. And our life is not finite anymore. It's infinite. We live forever and we love forever. So in this scripture, you saw the word reconciliation. And it says, if we were reconciled through the death of his son while we were still enemies. That word reconciliation is written in Greek like this. Can you see the Greek words? This is the original manuscripts of the New Testament were written in the language of Greek. Um, you thought they were in English. That's okay. We're just, we're just um, this is the word reconciled, katalasso. You see it? Katalasso which is the word catalyst, which is catalyst. You know what a catalyst is? It's an ingredient that goes like, I'm not super scientific. You, you're like, no kidding, I know that. Um, a catalyst is an ingredient that, that is added to other ingredients in a chemi when you're doing some, some chemistry or something like that. And you add the ingredient and it takes the other ingredients. The other ingredients change because of the catalyst. When you introduce the catalyst, otherwise those ingredients stay the same. It stays exactly the same, no change. Then you add the catalyst and suddenly there's a chemical, chemical thing, blah, blah, blah. And it, right? Okay, see, that's, I told you I wasn't, I wasn't scientifically inclined. But you know what that is. And think about how many people in the world say, this is the way that the world is, nothing can change. This relationship between me and this person can never be mended. 
This person will always be an enemy of God. This, this status, this state, everything stays in their state. This is the state of being for a human being and a heart and the world. We say nothing can change. And then Paul is saying, no, there's this catalyst of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ that you can extend into the, other, into the lives of other people. And that when you extend that love, it, it's those things that seemed unchangeable are suddenly changing. And, and there's, there's a reaction and, and the world changes and, and it ripples out beyond this congregation into the lives of their people and we see love abound rather than just hatred, which is, what, which is what those people who say that think should exist in the world. Jesus says, I see a vision. There is a vision. There is a way. There's not a way of hatred. There's a way of love. There's a way of love. But he also says that there's a way to get there. And he says that the way to get there is through prayer. The way to get there is through gurgling prayer, like that. So beautiful. I love it. Don't, keep bringing the babies. By the way, this, this congregation's having a lot of babies this year. We got to talk. We got to talk. Population control, okay, people? Woo-wee. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, we should start to, uh, start to recruit people for the nursery, like, ahead of time. Like, we're going to need a lot of people in that nursery in, like, six months. There's, like, 20 babies on the way. Love it. This, um, this is what Jesus calls us to, is to pray. To start to envision that person and to align your heart with that person and start to be a part of a process where you can discover that your heart can be changed too, not just theirs. You know, to start to care for them. And that's the trajectory that the Holy Spirit is leading this congregation. That's the trajectory that God is designing for us, not just to talk about love. This isn't the end of the conversation about love. This is the beginning because we're gonna go into a series in two weeks called 40 Days of Prayer. 40 Days of Prayer. And did everybody get a little card on the way into worship? On that card, I'm gonna ask you guys to write the name of one person in your life, one person that you're gonna pray for over the next 40 days. Now, you might have just thought of someone and said, that person's not good enough. Guess what? That person's good enough. There's no person who's unimportant for this. There's not a bad or wrong choice. Let God lead your steps. And, there's, and some of you said, you know, I feel like I'm called um, to pray for someone that I would never want to pray for otherwise. I have been called to pray for someone, and it's a tough one. It's hard. That's someone who wanted me on the cross and tried to put me on a cross, and, but now I know this is the person that I'm called to pray for for 40 days and to recognize that that's the, that's the path to loving them, to pray for those who harass us, to pray for those people who are chasing us down. And, and again, there's no wrong choice because who's an enemy of God? All of us, every single person. And it's okay if uh, 20 people in this congregation choose the same person. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Just think about that person and we're gonna invite you to be a part of this prayer and then, and then there's small groups that will be getting together and learning how to pray and learning what the Bible says about prayer. Not just what people make up about prayer, but what does it say about prayer? What can we learn about prayer? And then we're gonna ask you to write that down in a few minutes and write down the na- your name, your email address and the name of the person you're praying for and we're gonna collect those and we're gonna remind you. You know how like, you make a commitment in worship and sometimes you leave and you go, oh, Cider Creek, oh, I love cookies. 
And then <laughs> like, someone says, what did you hear in church? Uh, people ask me, they're like, what did you preach in church? I'm like, I have no idea. Honestly, it was yesterday. <laughs> so don't feel bad. <laughs> but it's easy for us to have the things stuff slip away. So we're going to remind you about that, that commitment that you're making to pray for that one person. And one of the cool things is that the church, is in, church in Uganda is also going to join us through this 40 days of prayer. Isn't that cool? And so this is not just isolated to this. There's going to be this transformation and this catalyst where change will happen. Take a look at this little video to kind of get you excited about this series. Get Excited is the catalyst moment for a lot of people. And a lot of people will be going to this saying, I don't know about prayer. But you know what Jesus says? The way that things are in the world is not a solid state. It's not an unchanging reality. So this is an opportunity for us to pray for that, those people and to grow in our hearts and our love for them and to see radical change and transformation because of it. This is a series that will be done with Rick Warren. He'll, I'll be teaching alongside him, which is pretty cool. He's a preacher. Well, he'll be, he'll be joining us via videos that he taped two years ago. So it's, it seems, you know, but you can tell your friends. Uh, and those will be the small groups. So fill out those cards right now. We'll give you a minute. And I know you might need a little prayer space and, and, and the ushers will come down and hand out pens. So they're coming down. You're going to have just two minutes to fill out the name of the person you're praying for, the email address. Again, this is confidential. So we'll, we'll just send it to you. It's not sent to your neighbor, right? Who you're praying for. And, um, and just take that time. And fill that out. And if you want to be baptized next week and, or and you want to join the church, you can just fill out the card at the bottom and say that's something that you want to be a part of your life. Uh, again, we're so thankful. Um, you, can, you, can sense, you can sense all the, all the minds thinking about who they're going to pray for. Um, if you need a card, just raise your hand. Who needs a card still? Anybody? We'll just take a minute. We believe that if uh, 400 people here on Sunday or more today begin to pray, however many hundred over in Uganda start to pray and start to change, that there will be a transformation in this world. you've already filled out your card, you could just close your eyes for now and just um, think about that person. Say your first prayer for them. Pray for God's goodness in their life. We know that it all already is answered that God, God loves all people. 
doesn't love what everybody does, but he loves all people and that we've all fallen short. Imagine that person wherever they are today, that, that God's hand would be on their shoulder and pray the ultimate prayer that that person's life would be changed, that their eyes would be open to God's goodness and mercy and grace. They would discover all the ways they've been blessed throughout their life and, and as God's light shines into their life, just as he shines into ours, that, um, that we would embrace the truth that is revealed, the truth of who we are and how far we've fallen. May we truly be the people who are not just receiving the truth of God's, that we are loved, but that we extend that truth to the lives of others. That we recognize there's a starving world out there that, that need to know the love of God. So in this time, just commit yourself to God. Commit your, your hands to God, to being, a, being the one who responds with love when you are challenged the most. Dear God, we, we take these concerns that you know that, that are making us incomplete. They're actually breaking our hearts, and we don't even know it. So often we protect our hearts or guard our hearts because we think that's the way forward, God. But we know, Lord, that, that you seek for wholeness, which is all people to be restored. And so, God, may we, may we recognize that these are the starving people of this world that, that are your enemies just as we have been and so often we still are. That we pray that this prayer would become a catalyst. It would become something that would erupt within our soul, uh, acts of goodness and kindness and, and love toward other people everywhere. We praise you, God, for the way in which you're stirring and your spirit is moving in this room and in this community. People are starting to talk about what you're doing at Highlands and in the other churches in this, in this beautiful world that you've given us. So God, help us to um, step forward courageously in minutes and hours and years of prayer as we encounter the greatest challenges of our life, which are still yet to come. We praise you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.